talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe and into the multiverse for a look at Doctor Strange, broadcast by CBS in September 1978 as part of a sort of intended Marvel television universe that never really took off. Technically, this means it takes place between Carl Malice starting at university and the shootout between Quincy McIver and Buggy Stokes over Bushmaster Rum, and, you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with either of them. I'm Tim Worthington, and we'll be finding out what I thought of Doctor Strange shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give his thoughts on Doctor Strange is writer Gary Bainbridge. Gary, where can people find you? I'm at the Liverpool Echo these days, but usually find me on Twitter, Gary underscore Bainbridge. Okay, so before we go any further, Gary, what happens in Doctor Strange? Okay, so Doctor Strange is a psychiatrist whose patient, who's a young woman called Clear, is having bad dreams in which she pushes John Mills, of all people, off a bridge. But it turns out she actually has pushed him off a bridge because she's being controlled by the witch, Morgan Le Fay. And then Doctor Strange becomes a wizard because his dad gave him a ring and then he becomes a sorcerer supreme and that's sort of it, really. Oh, Wong's in it. Wong is in it. That is pretty much it. But my next question is going to be two-pronged, actually. Gary, how much did you know about Doctor Strange before you originally saw this? And also, how and when did you originally see it? I knew a fair bit because he used to buy the... Or he used to have bought for me the Mighty World of Marvel, which was one of the British Marvel weeklies that they made. And Doctor Strange would occasionally pop up in there. That. And he was in a series called Valor, which he co-starred with Thor, I think, and Devil Dinosaur and all these sorts of weird, wonderful characters. So I knew a bit about Doctor Strange at the time. Granada Television had a very, very short series in the late evening called Marvel Superheroes. And they went through the pilots that were made in the 1970s for this proto-Marvel cinematic universe. And Doctor Strange is one of them. I didn't have a video recorder at the time. One, because I was about eight. And two, because nobody had video recorders at the time, apart from my cousin. And I begged them to record it. And I went around and I watched it. And I sat there for maybe the best part of two hours watching this thing. And I remember vaguely enjoying it at the time. But I think now, looking back at it, I must have had absolutely no idea what was going on. Because it is impenetrable and intense. It really is. And I can't work out when exactly I first saw it, because as you say, Granada did show it. It wasn't networked by ITV. It was shown by different regions when they felt like it. And most of them stuck it on. It looks like last thing at night, you know, stretching on past midnight. I don't know whether that's to do with the occult element 
the storyline. They went they just thought no one's going to watch this. <laughs> I definitely didn't see that because that was around the time they were repeating the new Avengers late at night. And I didn't know what, you know, the Steed and Emma Avengers was at that point. I remember thinking, <laughs> why are the Wasp and Wonder Man on that late? And kind of asking to see it and being told, no, you won't like it. It's something else. And ironically, I did really later like that, the Avengers as well. But it was out on video in the UK, you know, in the pre-cert days. So technically, technically, if you've got a copy of that, it's in legal video because it didn't have a certificate at that point. I may have seen it there, but I'm fairly sure ITV, again, stuck it on in the late 80s overnight when they first started doing overnight broadcasting. And they showed all kinds of weird TV pilots like Men of the Dragon and Escape. You know, that same sort of 70s vibe. I'm fairly sure it was on then. But it was forever on the sci-fi channel in the 90s. <laughs> like, literally... Every time you turned it on, it was the Doctor Strange pilot. And I know I'd seen it before I saw it there, but I can't remember exactly when it was. I think he was a baffling choice to bring in because, you know, you've got Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk were already running quite successfully as series. And shortly after this, they did the Captain America pilot. Well, the first of two pilots. They were all really well-known characters. Doctor Strange, I think, really. Although, you know, the original iteration was quite popular with, well, hippies, I suppose, in the late 60s, much to Stanley's <laughs> disapproval in some ways. But I don't think, A, he was that well-known a character and B, that adaptable a character for what they were trying to do because I can't see who he could have crossed over out of any of them apart from maybe the Hulk. Well, there's a thing about that, actually, because... Because he actually flicks through a copy of a whole comic for no reason. I get the sense that maybe they knew from the outset this wasn't going to be picked up because there are a lot of areas in there where it seems like nobody's put much effort in. But before we get to that, we've really got to talk about the guy playing Doctor Strange, Peter oh. Hooten, not to be confused with the lead singer of The Farm. My main observation here is that whereas, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, whatever you think of him, he looks exactly like Stephen Strange always did in the comics. This poor guy looks like a Cross between Graham Sooners and Bobby Ball. <laughs> I was thinking Terry from Brookside as a wizard. <laughs> Which wouldn't be the weirdest thing that happened to him in Brookside, or in real life as it turned out. But yeah, he's, he doesn't really quite understand the role, I don't think. And that, in its own way, gives his interpretation of it an extra charm, but he is not right for Doctor Strange. No. No, I think, again, it's like the other Marvel shows of that era, where they have these characters, and then they completely remove their motivations. Because, you know, they become superheroes, because, you know, why not? You know, it seems like they do have got these powers now. Why not become a superhero? He doesn't have the real arrogance of the original Doctor Strange and then you know the fact that he then loses everything and then that's why he goes down this path to become a wizard which is the thing that the MCU does really well it strips everything back and it, it updates various things but certainly the character is absolutely sacrosanct the Spider-Man that you see on the screen is the same guy that you read in the comics he's the guy whose entire core is you know responsibility and you know and Captain America is your man out of time and Iron Man is you know, an arms manufacturer who has seen the light. And Doctor Strange is proper Doctor Strange. But this guy, he's just, he's nothing. He's just some bloke who turns out one day to be magical. You know, as much a surprise to him as anybody else. Yet they kept doing that in the pre-MCU days. Just making little changes that just took away some of what made that character like this. Like, I even say changing it to David Banner in the Hulk. Because it doesn't have the same ring as Bruce Banner. I think that had some effect. As, as I was bringing 
bring up the 1989 film of the Punisher they change the gender of his children so that it's not quite the same if he's not avenging his family he's avenging three women that's got a very different mm. ring to it whereas in the MCU you get things like well the Punisher for example occasionally picks up a guitar and strums it you know referencing one of his character traits I mean Blade I'm hoping I don't think we're going to get him as a Cockney really but I'm yeah. sure we're going to get some jazz out of him given Mahershala Ali's other roles as well but like you say taking away just making him a psychiatrist for no reason and oh. that completely taking away all of his motivation you know the pry before a fall thing about Stephen Strange is just like oh yeah I happen to be in this room what's going on now <laughs> Oh, God. That's before you even get into very, very 1970s sexual attitudes. It's like he's gone through the nurses at the hospital, like COVID. <laughs> it's like clear is his patient. And they keep saying, they actually keep saying it explicitly, how it's unethical for doctors to shag the patients. But it's all, you know, oh, wink, wink, you know. It's like they've had a note from a medical consultant to say it isn't allowed. But, you know, they've had to pay lip service to it. But it means absolutely nothing to them. Well, and also they've taken away, speaking of changing character traits, pretty much everything about Clea from the comics to make her in they clearly thought we cannot have a second female lead who is anything but a cipher to you know get into <laughs> trouble and hand him things you no know, she can't be this incredible master of the dark arts and Stephen Strange's on off lover with the very weird intense relationship she has to be just a rando who got mind controlled by Morgan Le Fay who we'll come back to in a second I mean I'll be fair there is some setup at the end that indicates had it gone on Clea might have developed a bit as a character but I'm not counting on that. No, not at all. But what did you think about Jessica Walter as Morgan Le Fay? I think the word vamping is hardly adequate. I did <laughs> notice from a Wikipedia page, she appears to have got divorced just before taking on this role, which might have some bearing on it, but it's absolutely jaw-dropping. I mean, she is the real star of the pilot. Whether or not that makes it a good performance, I don't know, but it's a very, very enjoyable performance. Oh, God, she's got like two expressions in it she's either like mildly horny or she's like it's that sort of look where you know you're absolutely furious that somebody's pushed in front of you at the post office but you don't <laughs> it. but also motivation is just weird it's like we've got a female villain what's her motivation it's like well she doesn't want to kill Doctor Strange she wants to shag him for some reason it's like is that it it's like the worst thing that could possibly happen to her is to be turned into an old woman which you know to be fair is probably the worst thing that was possible to be in the 1970s but it's just really weirdly unclear what she's actually there to do. It really is, and the irony is, this was at exactly the same time, because I mean, Morgan Le Fay goes back to, I think even pre-sort of Fantastic Four, but it was around this time they kind of revitalised it when Spider-Woman was launched, as she was really the main primary antagonist, and you know, became this much kind of darker, more sexualised and quite a sinister way character, and here they've just done it's like the thing, it's like that joke in Fist of Fun about Winnie the Pooh being bought by America and renamed Simon the Dog because that is better, apparently. You know, it's change is made for the sake of it but I will say one thing they get not quite brilliant but it was much much less bad than I was expecting is Wong yes now he doesn't get the lion's share of the action or the dialogue right? oh well I've got things to say about the dialogue but he is just a character that happens to be called Wong you know they don't do any kind of stereotypical voice and mystic cliches and so on he is Doctor Strange's mate basically yeah in fact there is a point where Lindmer who's uh, John Mills' character, who's the previous Sorcerer Supreme, he even says to Wong, you're not my manservant. Like, even back then, it was like, yeah, we can't really do that 
And speaking of John Mills, this is one of those engagements where he doesn't actually appear to know or care what he's actually doing. <laughs> he's just turned yeah. and done it and gone. It was in the middle of making. Now, I am a huge admirer of this. I know it has a very mixed reputation, but the 1979 Quatermass serial for ITV, which, you know, production for that took nearly a year, and he did this in the middle of it, and that was affected by strikes and so on. So he was probably conserving all of his, like, creative energy for a role that apparently he coveted for quite a long time. I don't imagine he coveted this role for quite so long. So it's probably just like, oh, yeah, there's a bit of a gap in filming there. Shall I do that? What, they're paying me? Okay. Yeah, they give him nothing to work with. But Derek, he just keeps getting killed off, doesn't he? A bit like Agent Coulson. Push him off a bridge, you think he's dead, he's not. Morgan Fay attacks him, you think he's dead, he's not. Passes his powers on to Doctor Strange, think he's dead, you know. But no consequences for anybody. That's the other thing in this. Even at the end of the episode, like Morgan Le Fay is punished by being turned into an old hag. But then at the end of the episode, she's back to normal. It's weird. It's like she's pretending to be a self-help guru. And Doctor Strange, you know, sees her on TV. And it's like, you're thinking, oh, well, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting that. That was that witch I had that massive battle with, wasn't it? Oh, she got the television. Oh, oh well. <laughs> so it's the crack woman trying to get into my patient's knickers. Wednesday, September 6th, reach into the unknown with Doctor Strange. Do you believe in evil? You're telling me you're a sorcerer. Don't defy me, Stephen, or I'll take my pleasure from you in another way. John Mills is the power of good. Jessica Walter is the power of evil, and mankind's fate hangs in the balance. Peter Hooten stars as the man in the middle, Doctor Strange. Will the forces of evil conquer the forces of good on Earth? Doctor Strange, a special two-hour presentation, Wednesday, September 6th at 8, 7, Central and Modern. Yeah, none of them get much to work with, because the dialogue in this, first of all, it's very expositionary. There's not much depth to it, but also, it's very stiltedly delivered. It actually feels a lot of the time like it was dubbed on later. Do you know what it reminded me of? Do you remember they used to have when it first started? That round on whose line is it anyway? Where they'd be shown the scene from... They might even be shown the scene from this at some point, to be honest. And you get, you know, Tony Slattery and Paul Merton improvising lines over it. It felt like that. <laughs> it's got to be better than what was actually written down, I suppose. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. The special effects, I will give them this. Special effects are actually pretty good for 1978. I say, especially for TV. Because there's that nice sort of bit where he's going down into the astral plane. It looks like he's falling through the titles of Doctor Who. Having a fight with 2001 at a disco. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I noticed Jonathan Ross and his Steve Ditko documentary really laid into that sequence, but that's the sort of thing he normally likes, so I didn't understand that anyway. But I actually thought it was really well done. I think the whole thing is about if it was 20% more, it would be more or less there. If you had Doctor Strange, okay, it is actually quite arrogant, but in that sort of 1970s, you know, Blue Stratos sort of way, you know, where you can see him turning up in a martini advert or something. You know, if they'd just done that thing where they'd made him sort of see the error of his ways or if they you know I don't actually mind him being a psychiatrist because that was the big thing at the time I suppose that was the surgery of the time in terms of prestige I can sort of see that you know and the psychiatrist fine you know if they just worked a little bit harder also the changes for the sake of changing things that outfit that he ends up wearing which is just as ludicrous as the outfit that he wears in the comic books but isn't the outfit he's wearing in the comic books why would you do that I don't 
don't know. It can't have been any kind of licensing thing, so I'm not sure. Did they have an easy-to-manufacture child's Doctor Strange costume in mind for the Christmas market that never came about? That's the only reason I can think of. What I did wonder was if they produced the outfit, and there he is in his blue body stocking and his red cape, and somebody said, that's Superman. There were a few issues I had with the stylings of it. One is that it's got the whole look of... There's that great imagery you get in 70s things, the whole, you know, black magic occult thing. And this just doesn't quite run away with them. The whole thing's got a feel of... It should look like one of the video nasties, you know, given its timing production. It looks like the opening titles of Tales of the Unexpected. <laughs> it's got that kind of, like, safe, sanitised version of all of that for family audiences, I suppose. But also, the music. Good Lord, it sounds like Carlos Santana has turned up to play guitar and he's seen someone with a moog and thought that's not real music I'm going to play them it's just somebody doing post-prog guitar and somebody doing early synth noodlings trying to outdo each other yeah it's all over the place isn't it it's a proper cacophony yeah it makes you appreciate Michael Giacchino's score for the actual proper Doctor Strange film all the more I think oh it makes me appreciate a lot more than that and there are one or two ropey effects like there's a cat that gets possessed where early on there's an actual cat which you know plays its role admirably later on it appears to be Stufa, Harry Hill's puppet cat <laughs> just before it turns to the Morgan Le Fay they don't do that very well the other thing that really really annoyed me was Balzaroth who I don't think is an actual Marvel demon anyway just looked like somebody had stuck some glowing eyes on like a cylinder like a pipe and held it up yeah at least go with Dormammu but I have a theory why they didn't use Dormammu which is okay. Dormammu was all over the Marvel Studios stroke filmation cartoons that were around at that point so given that also CBS had wanted to do a human torch pilot and Filmation couldn't use the human torch because of that it probably worked in the direction as well uh, possibly well speaking of other shows I just wanted to mention a couple of people in the credits who I was actually you know when I first saw this I had no idea who any of them were I was quite surprised to recognise them straight off first of all Anne-Marie Martin who's clear although she's credited by a different name in this was one of the regular cast in Sledgehammer that police procedural spoof that ITV showed again overnight possibly around the same time as they might have repeated the Doctor Strange pilot in the late 80s. Clyde Kosatsu, who has been in everything. I think his most prominent role around this time, though, was you ever bring him back alive? Oh, it's Bruce Boxleitner. Yeah, sort of Raiders of the Lost Ark rip-off that I think lasted half a season in America, but ITV really went for that. He was the second lead in that. But also, Balzaroth is voiced by Ted Cassidy, who obviously a lot of people know best as Lurch and the Adams Family, but am I right thinking he also did the opening narration for the Incredible Hulk series? Not only did he do the opening narration for the Incredible Hulk series, but he was the voice of the Incredible Hulk until he died and then he was replaced by, oh gosh, the guy from the Russ Meyer movies. Charles Napier. But yeah, Ted Cassidy was the original voice of the Hulk. And yeah, it's interesting. You know, it did have a reasonable cast, I think, for what it was, but it just doesn't work at all. It absolutely no. doesn't. And I was surprised to find out. Apparently Stan Lee really liked it, but his stated reason that they liked it was they gave him a lot of input. Now, I'm not sure that actually came across on the screen. And he also said that the main reason nobody watched it was it was on opposite routes. And I'm not quite sure. You know, as award-winning as Roots was, you know, of course, Andrew Collins famously called it my favourite programme in his diaries around that time. He has got a lot of comic mileage out of, but I don't think really Roots being on the other side was the biggest issue that this had. No, no. I'm sure it didn't help, but oh God, no. If you put Doctor Strange opposite three men sitting on a bucket, people would have watched the three men sitting on a bucket. Well, the thing 
is, they're dropping so many references in to varying degrees into the MCU now from, you know, people actually making cameos or just references to things. Do you think this will be and deserves to be referenced in any way? I mean, I would quite like to see some sort of nod to Jessica Walter at the very least. Yeah, that'd be quite nice, wouldn't it? I, even if it's just a flickering picture of this Doctor Strange appearing as the smashing through the different dimensions. I think that'd be quite nice. People would think it was Bobby Ball slash, <laughs> slash Graham Sooner slash Terry from Brookside, though. That is one big multiverse. <laughs> that I would see. Okay, there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Now, you know, normally at the end of these non-MCU ones, I bring in a cast member who also later turned up in the MCU and say who was best out of them, but nobody, even Clive Kasatsu, who was in everything, the nearest he came was being a voice in the Spider-Man 3 computer game. So, I've had to get a bit creative. Morgan the Fay was played by Jessica Walter in this. She later reappeared in the MCU, played by Elizabeth Hurley in Runaways. So, who was best? <laughs> I'm still going to go for Jessica Walter, I'm sorry. I will say, Elizabeth Hurley was good as Morgan the Fay, but nobody, nobody can top this performance. Nobody, nobody should ever try. They should put Morgan Le Fay in some sort of box somewhere and never let anybody into it. <laughs> I've got nothing to add to that. Gary, thank you, and Excelsior. Thanks, Tim. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can buy more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book, Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.